if you know anything about neuroscience and kind of trying to lock in learning, it's really about using short bursts of teaching followed by storytelling and relatable examples and then application with clear instruction. So like using all these different parts of your brain repeatedly in short bursts to be like locking it in. I get it. I've heard you say it. You've taught it to me. You've told me a story where it fits with examples I can relate to. And now you're asking me to go do an activity so that I'm applying it to my own case study. And now I understand it. Like, that's beautiful. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Audience Growth Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Medea Cohen of the Creative Entrepreneurs Club. Medea is an expert in booking fabulous guests to speak on the variety of courses that she runs for her business. Today, we're going deep on how you can approach people who you would like to speak for or deliver workshops for, the things that you need to do and the things that you definitely should not do. So if you've ever fancied being booked and paid to share your expertise, today's episode is a must listen. Let's dive in. Just a quick note before we start this episode, there is some adult language, so this is definitely not an episode that you want to listen to with children around. Hello and welcome back to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hutchison, and today I am joined by Medea Kohan, who is from an organization called Creative Entrepreneurs Club. Welcome to the podcast, Medea. Thank you very much for having me. And I'll give you a bit of background. Medea and I have been in touch recently. We've been having conversations and we've been talking about some of the programs that she runs. And I was really interested to hear that she is very picky. (laughs) Is that fair to say? When it comes to the people who deliver on your programs. And so I wanted to invite you onto the podcast to tell me more. Yeah, borderline obsessive, I would say. It's beyond picky. It's like a a full-time obsession. Excellent. So before we dive into all of that, can you please give us a brief outline of what you do? Sure. Currently, I'm the creative director of the Creative Entrepreneurs Club, and that is a community powered by Scottish people, but globally supporting creative entrepreneurs to network and upskill and generally be empowered. So working with people at all different levels of development, whether they're founders or freelancers, and self-selecting as creatives, which means a very broad collection of the population. So it's really a place for people to come when they feel like they haven't found the support they need somewhere else and to request it or to create it or to collaborate to make it happen and to find other like-minded creative entrepreneurs who are looking to kind of keep developing and be a part of something. Great. And so you run programs online now, presumably, and events to do much in the way of in-person things? Yeah, we did a lot more in-person things. I think we're probably moving back toward that in the coming months. We do programs, we do networking events, we do meetups and discussion groups and things like that. It's a real mix. People like to learn and engage in a lot of different ways and we try to provide that. I think a lot of what happened during the pandemic became people being talked at and not having a space to be a part of the discussion and be heard. So we're really conscious about that and try to create an environment where people can peer support or share their expertise, but really that it's a back and forth conversation and a space for people to share and celebrate and empathize and (laughs) cry and whatever, you know, the plight of the entrepreneur is. 
Brilliant. Sounds great. And what would you say is your favorite part of your job? I really think that the kickback, the fun I get is to help people realize their opportunities and their full potential and find new ways of working and connecting people. That's something I really get a buzz out of. And I do that in a lot of ways at the minute in this role. I do that through creating really unique, impactful programs and meeting people where they need to be met. I feel like a lot of what goes on in the world is very much like, I think you need this instead of a dialogue around what do you need and how do you need it? And I spend a huge amount of time thinking about that and listening to our community. We have over 3,000 people and most of them are very vocal. (laughs) They are willing to tell us, which is really useful and I really encourage it. I think, you know, it's a mistake to not be listening to your customers and your audience and use that information to give them back what they need so that they benefit hugely from it. And it's so much more satisfying to have that collaborative relationship. So everything we do is really user-led and is tailored. And I love creating a like semi-comfortable space for people to be challenged. I don't want it to be too comfortable. I really am a believer in slight discomfort and pushing yourself and hearing some truths and a little tough love. But I do think it's really about trust and creating an environment where people can hear it and doing that by being accessible and clear and managing expectations and, you know, helping people apply positive change to their ventures. So I love that I get to do that and create that. I'm obsessed with the gaps. I'm obsessed with all the things we're not talking about and not teaching people. I feel like at the minute, particularly, there's like 10 buzzwords or buzz courses and everyone's doing those. And that is very accessible. I don't mean accessible in that it's easy. I mean, accessible and readily available and unmonitored (laughs) and no quality control. And that's my fear of the world is, you know, I think we have a great responsibility as people teaching other people to do it right. And there's no universal qualifier for whether something's good or true or whatever. So, you know, people have a bit of work to do to find the right place for them and a voice they can trust. I really enjoy doing that and filling those gaps and having conversations people don't generally get to have and creating those moments where you're like, oh my God, why didn't I see it? And helping people change the whole way that they approach what they're doing and and do it with less stress aggro. So let's talk a bit more then about the training courses that you deliver. Who are they for and what do they cover? So in this role and really across my career, because I predominantly work with creative people who are looking to wrap entrepreneurial skills around what they make or do, all of the content I create is really targeted toward that community. We offer lots of different programs around different subsectors, business models, stages of development, which I think is important. It's important to group people in some way so that you can teach at some level. I think one of the big mistakes and the expectation management issues that arises when you're not targeting a niche enough group, you can only teach really broadly and generally, and people don't leave with much. It's really hard to be practical and have an impact when you're teaching at all different levels at once. You're sort of trying to be everything to everyone and you're nothing to nobody. I really think that if you narrow the people on the programs, the profile of who this is right for, you can make a really deep impact. And that's interesting to me. I want someone to leave going like, I applied these three things and it worked. And now I want more things. I'm really conscious about targeting people because I don't want to open a can of worms and then just walk away and everyone's like totally overwhelmed and mind melting. And then they need me. They want me back, not because I'm really good or they learned something, but because now they're like totally overwhelmed and freaking out. So we target really specific groups and try to help them see the vision of where they want to get to and then put practical steps in place to help them achieve that goal in a pace and in an approach that works for them. And that is really an accessibility thing. There's a whole sort of culture fit for me that's really important. And who we're talking to as in our community is casual. It's not corporate. They don't want to be spoken to in lots of jargon or acronyms. 
It's not about a professionalism, like I'm an expert and you're a student and I'm bestowing my knowledge upon you. It's much more collaborative than that. And there's a tone of we're in it togetherness. And I remember what it's like to be where you are. I'm only a few steps ahead of you. I'm not miles and miles ahead of you. This isn't unachievable. In a world that changes so quickly, I think it's really important that speakers aren't so far advanced. They can't remember what's here and the whole game has changed since they were here anyway. So their advice isn't relevant. So it's really for creative founders and freelancers at whatever stage they're at. Each program is differently tailored for that. And when we initially spoke, you made it really clear that you are kind of obsessed about finding really great speakers. So what I would love people to learn from you today is what is the process that you go through to find the best speakers for the programs that you deliver? So I'm always hunting. I'm a born networker. I want to have all the best people in my world. I'm not in any way intimidated by that. And I completely know they know a lot more than me. And that's what I want. I want to find those people. I want to have this massive sort of pool of people to be able to call on whenever I have a brilliant idea, you know, an opportunity for them. So I have a huge list and it's an ongoing quest. I always start by looking within my network. If I can get references or ideal, like if someone's been on a course that blew their mind or someone's a speaker that I love and they can refer someone else who can speak, brilliant. I go to lots of things and hear people talk and approach them. And I regularly post on things like LinkedIn that I'm looking for people and that sparks people who know people to send it to me more than the people within my core network. I tend to know them already, but people are always relearning. So you never know. I had a woman that I worked with for years from an investor perspective and I'd come and have her talk as an investor, but she's retrained as a business coach now and she's focusing on different things. So, you know, she was like, oh, I now do these things. So that's great. You know, if you're evolving and adding strings to your bow, keep me posted. That's kind of where I start. And I'm really transparent and direct about what I'm looking for. I'm like, I want this. I want to be contacted this way. This is the information I need from you. We do pay. You know, the important information is there. And I'm really obnoxiously direct about it purposefully because I don't want anyone to waste my time. I don't want to waste their time. I want to be really clear about this is transactional. I am going to pay you. I appreciate the value, but I do want high quality for what I'm paying. And yeah, like I don't want to be inundated with stuff that's no use. Because it is an onerous task to do the due diligence, to do the research and to watch videos and to have conversations and to form relationships, it's dating. It's intense because it doesn't happen right away that you understand someone. I'm taking people through a journey and I'm impacting their lives. I want to trust that the people I'm putting in front of them are really quality, that they're giving them good advice and that they speak to that audience, that they are tailoring what they're saying to those people. So that's really important to me. So if I can eliminate people right away, that's ideal because either they're not the right people and they aren't going to reply to my ad because they don't fit the bill. Or this is quite pedantic of me, but they are going to not follow the instructions. And that's a really great sign to me that they are not listening. They don't know how to follow a brief. They're probably not going to be great at collaborating because they already can't hear me in the first place. So, you know, we're going to have issues right away. And that's not to say people who aren't going to push back and aren't going to bring their own voices to something. I don't need passive people. But if in the first instance, you're already replying to it, not in the way that I've asked you to, you're telling me that you can't hear me or you just don't care. And that's not how I want to start a relationship with someone. So it's easy to eliminate those people. Anybody who can eliminate themselves quickly does me a favor and themselves, really. It's just not going to work out. To me, it's similar to if you're trying to market your business. It's like if you jump onto LinkedIn, you try and connect with somebody and then immediately spam their inbox you're clearly only interested in what you can get from that person. Or if you're marketing and you're going into somebody's 
Facebook community and you don't bother finding out actually what the rules of that community are and you just spam with details of your business. Or if you want to target a podcast so that you can be interviewed on that podcast as a guest and you actually haven't listened to any episodes of that podcast. It's the same approach, really. I mean, entirely. And I think one of the real, like when you're saying like, what are the things that endear someone to you that you want to work with? It's like, well, you've checked out my stuff before you wrote to me. You know, you're not just like, yeah, I like getting paid to talk. You're like, I saw it. I am a good fit for it. I understand that community of people. I have experience talking to them. In fact, I know five people who are in your community. So someone I've been mentoring is in your community. So if you want a reference, you know, that kind of care and thought shows me that you're going to give it to the people I bring on the course. I don't mean to sound like I'm looking for people to fail. I'm just looking for those red flags that are like, I'm not going to be a cultural fit for you. I know you've told me that you watch hundreds of videos of people talking and you attend. I know you've come along and attended some of my events to have a snoop around. And what are the things that you're looking for? What do you want from a great speaker? So I think it's a really fine balancing act. And I think the challenge I often face is that being an expert doesn't make you instantly a great presenter or a facilitator. And being a great facilitator doesn't mean you have the expertise to deliver meaningful content. So I do understand that I'm asking the world of this phenomenal person, mystical force. But what I'm really looking for is someone who can engage and be engaging, who's really interactive, who brings energy, who's not lecturing at people. I'm really conscious that when you're just talking at people, the words are just bouncing off their forehead and very little's going in. Especially in a world where we're delivering largely virtually, I think facilitators need to bring a huge amount of energy. And that can feel like you're talking into a black hole. I've done a lot of it. So have you, I'm sure you know. So you really need to find ways of being engaging. I'm also really, really adamant about accessibility. And what I mean by that is being jargon-free, acronym-free, talking to an audience that potentially has learning challenges or physical challenges that maybe don't just have the basis in your industry and so don't have the vocabulary. So just a real awareness of how you're communicating. I think really clear communication is key. Being concise relatable and relevant to the people you're talking to, which often means tailoring your content, which a lot of people don't like to do. They just roll out the same crap everywhere they go. They don't care who they're talking to. That doesn't work. Certainly, if you're really using optimal learning techniques, which I am obsessed with as a very dyslexic person who has studied this, and if you know anything about neuroscience and kind of trying to lock in learning, it's really about using short bursts of teaching followed by storytelling and relatable examples and then application with clear instruction. So like using all these different parts of your brain repeatedly in short bursts to be like locking it in. I get it. I've heard you say it. You've taught it to me. You've told me a story where it fits with examples I can relate to. And now you're asking me to go do an activity so that I'm applying it to my own case study. And now I understand it. Like that's beautiful. And I recognize everyone doesn't understand that or know that, but you know, I'm also not asking you to wake up knowing that. I am very interested in working collaboratively with people to help them get there. So if they have the charisma and the energy and the willingness and a clear love of what they're doing and the knowledge, then I can help them get it to a place for my audience. I'm not asking you to show up knowing who my people are and do it correctly. But I think there's a huge difference between speaking at TEDx or speaking for Deutsche Bank at a corporate dinner and speaking to a group of creative entrepreneurs. And it's knowing where you belong and not assuming that you fit everywhere just because you know something. So I think the ideal person is really given thought to not just what the essential information is, but how best to deliver it. And to a particular audience 
on a particular platform, whether that's live or online, and how to tailor it, not just deliver the same stuff over and over again. So tailoring, being thoughtful about, you know, even the time limit, right? Like if you're used to a half day talk and I'm asking you to give me 45 minutes, don't try to cram it in there. Make it work for that. Like what's the essential core stuff you have to pull out of that and how can you make that interesting? So it's a wide skill set. I am asking the world. I think when I am delivering workshops like that, the thing that I always hark back to, to be honest, is I studied business management at uni and economics was not my favorite module. And I just always remind myself of how it felt to be that bored economics student and to look around and be surrounded by probably at least 50% of the lecture hall also being bored economics students. And I just never, ever want people in my audience to feel like that because you learn nothing. As a dyslexic person who's a visual learner and who has a short attention span, as we all now do, I remember being in huge lecture halls and just having some dusty old man rattle off stuff at me as if I was meant to retain any of that information and it just washing over me and like really having to work to find ways that worked for me to learn. You know, like I go to talks and I think, how do I feel in here? Like, am I bored to death? What is anyone taking away from this? Also, it happens a lot that I go to things and I'm like, did they actually say anything? Like, is there something I can take away and apply? Like literally practically go and do? Or did you just, I don't know, natter on for a while? Like I often feel that more than I feel bored. I feel like there were just no meaningful takeaways from that. I think that's perhaps something to do with, there are a lot of online coaches nowadays who will say to you that the best way to make sales in your business is to always teach people the what, but never the how, because leave them wanting more. And I just fundamentally disagree with that because A, I really enjoy my subject and I want people to get as passionate about it as I am. And B, why would anybody want more if they've got nothing in the first place? (laughs) And there's always more. Like, doesn't matter how much you give them, there's more. So, you know, that's just ridiculous. Especially in like some sort of panel discussion or some hour-long broad topic. I mean, there's always a million ways to drill it down. So I don't buy into that. I mean, it's just rubbish. You're wasting people's time and money. It's just a disrespect of your audience. I really care about the people I want to help. Like, I want everyone to leave there and be like, I am going to crush this now. I mean, I don't do this, so I can only guess. But my understanding of what happens at the gym is you like get a workout that applies to you and you start doing it and you start seeing a difference and that becomes quite addicting. And then you want to go to the gym more and you keep wanting to get in shape. Not my bag. But I like that concept that like if you came to my class once a month, and you were just getting like nuggets of gold and you went home and applied them and all of a sudden you were getting more customers and you were selling more and your business started improving, that you want to come back and get more of that and keep going. And that is the goal, right? To get the help that is practical and meaningful and improve your stuff. So if somebody's listening today and is really keen to get hired to deliver training workshops or to develop their public speaking experience, where would you recommend that they begin? So really start by understanding the brief before you even reach out, like spend time with it. Don't whiz over it. Really spend time with it. Make sure it suits you. This is the same thing I would say about applying for funding. Don't waste your time or anyone else's if it doesn't apply to you. Make sure it fits you. And then take the time to meaningfully respond concisely. So follow the directions of however they told you to get in touch with them. So even before that, right, if you don't fit the brief, but you want to work with them, do get in touch with them and say, I read your thing. I don't fit the brief, but I really like what you're doing. And I'd like to see if there's other opportunities and ways of working together. If you do fit the brief, then get in touch the way you've been told to get in touch and provide the information you've been asked for concisely. So 
a few lines about who you are, your relevant experience, why the post appealed to you, what you can offer, and some examples of your work. Just include the relevant information. Don't write a novel. There's more time for that when you meet them. But for now, like bullet points. I love a bullet point email. Just get to the facts. I'm not interested in your waffle. I don't care about the awards you won. I'm not interested in your CV. That's not even what I want to know about. I believe you that you know your thing. I'm not trying to waste time with that. I'm interested in your approach and your voice and what makes you different and how you deliver and whether or not you're a culture fit for me. So I'm assuming that I can trust your LinkedIn. You've got the experience. It's definitely brownie points for me if you've taken the time to look up what I'm doing and you know that you're a fit and you say, I've worked with these other organizations that are similar. The thing that gets me is when people don't hear the part where I'm saying, do you have experience with the creative entrepreneurs or startups or founders specifically? Because you know, you've know you worked for 40 years in corporate, but last week you went freelance. Not my person. It's a different language. It's a different lifestyle. And I'm not saying you can't bridge it, but you haven't put the work in yet. So yeah, just the research. And what about when you're doing the research and looking for people online? Are there key things that you look out for when it comes to their online presence? Yeah, I mean, I definitely look at people's social media. I look at the kinds of interactions they're having there, what their tone is, what their brand is. I look at testimonials, if I can find someone who knows them. There are often key things someone says. I've been looking for a finance person. I have a few, but this one woman, she said something I say all the time, you know, and I'm quite obnoxious and to the point and whatever. And she said that in a talk that she sent me a link to. And I was like, oh yeah, you get it. You're my person. You understand the approach we're trying to take here, which is humored and light, right? But still skilled. I guess what I'm looking for is someone who cares enough, who's passionate about what they're doing and cares about the audience and is able to turn that into meaningful content for them. And I'm certainly not asking you to name any names here, but have you ever booked anybody and later wished that you hadn't? Yes, for sure. Otherwise, this wouldn't be so hard. (laughs) I recently had someone who was brilliant in their own right, and they have applied their knowledge in a really powerful way to do great things in their own organization, but they just don't have the skills to deliver it. And I met with them repeatedly. I mean, I knew they were slightly introverted to begin with, but their passion was there and I felt like they could bridge it. I'd had them do a short talk for me and that went pretty well. And I invited them to do a longer talk and asked them to bring some guests to break it up, but they couldn't hold people for that long. They just didn't have the energy and they didn't have the ability to turn their personal experience into a relatable experience for a wider audience. So that is one. And I had someone else who I quite liked and he did have the ability to make the content simplistic, but he used some very old school jargon and was just not current and was reasonably offensive. And it was gobsmacking and I couldn't leave it. I couldn't let it hang. I had to like address it. So that was uncomfortable live in front of people. But I felt that if it went unchecked, then I was kind of co-signing it and I wasn't comfortable with it. So that was interesting. Wow. Don't envy you being in your shoes that day. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting job chairing or being the host and, you know, even politely getting people to stay on time with their stuff and, you know, like having to interrupt them and be like, you're running out of time or whatever. So it's a funny job that I try to be respectful, but it's hard. And is there anybody who's ever surprised you in a really good way with something that they've done during a workshop to keep people engaged? 
Yeah, I mean, Andrew Davis, Andrew Miles Davis is the bench for me. I mean, he is just godly amongst plebs, I think, with delivering. He brings big energy. He's really knowledgeable. He basically creates a choose-your-own-adventure for the audience. So he knows his stuff so well and his presentation is so slick that he can use polls and other kind of ways of engaging with them for them to basically tailor the content for themselves which is really exciting to be a part of because it means people are interacting, paying attention, getting what they need tailored to them and feeling like, you know, this person cares and they're so good at it. They can just do it on the hoof. It doesn't surprise me because I've worked with Andrew for over a decade now because he's so good that I can't replace him. I mean, thankfully, he humors me and comes back all the time, but he's just brilliant at what he does. I have to put him at the end of programs because he sets the bar so high that I think if he went early on, it would be disappointing afterward. You know, and he's updating all the time and really current. He gives a lot of himself. He gives a lot of energy. And equally, when he's not doing it virtually on a live stage, he just has a real presence and charisma and confidence and he walks the talk. And that is clear. His love for what he does is clear. I think that's what it is. And in terms of you judging whether a session has been a success or not, what are you looking for there? Feedback is awesome. It's where I'm always collecting information. I'm always asking for people to kind of feedback to me. But really what's amazing is when you just see people applying it. It's not that they're even telling you that it was so great. In a really great virtual talk, I'll be getting DMs after DMs like, oh my God, oh my God, it's amazing. But that's all well and good. Did it actually impact you enough that you actioned it and that you put it into practice? Because that's when you're like, okay, it wasn't just a good talk. Like you learned this, you applied it, it's happened, it's amazing. And programs like Creative Game Changers, where I have 16 people, I can look for that. You know, I can see that happening. When I have hundreds of people, it's a different kind of thing. But when you've got a small group that you're working with over a long period of time and you can see the effect a very specific moment, like that penny drop moment where it just clicked for someone, that's huge. That's wonderful. So rewarding, isn't it? Totally. And tell me, Medea, are you always looking for people to deliver topics within any of your future programs? Are you looking for people at the moment? Always, always, always. It keeps me up at night. Always because it's not just that I'm looking to fill a gap. Like I'm always dating speakers because it's a collaborative thing. And like when you start having conversations, when you get to the stage, like, so you've watched them, you've done the research, you've, you know, kind of figured out you do want to work with them and you've started meeting with them and you're just having ongoing conversations that can shape a whole other program or, you know, something new comes out of it. It wasn't just I had a hole to fill. Generally, when I'm designing programs, I mean, it's a really iterative, ongoing, endless process with me. For instance, with Game Changers, we had a collaborative planning day with the people on the course. And I ran a whole day trying to fish out the information about what they really needed. So I had a wireframe. I had an idea of what I thought they needed based on the interviews. But I really pushed them to kind of narrow it down and make it achievable. What could I give them that was trending that was across all of them that I could really help them with. So they gave me that information. Then I go away and I'm like, okay, so I have to read between the lines and what are the themes for the days? And then within that, what's the core stuff? And then who do I know that can do that? And then through those kind of conversations with people, I think can do that general thing. It's like, what's important to you? Like, you know, what would you think should be on this day and whatever? And we develop things together and we develop approaches together. So I'm always looking because it's not a tangible thing, you know, and there isn't just one person and there isn't just one way. So it's really about having an ongoing conversation and 
creating together and creating new things and the next thing. And, you know, I design programs internally for us, but externally for partners as well. So there's always things going on. I'm always needing people and I want new perspectives and new voices. And, you know, so even if I have someone who does that, there might be a newer, better way, or they might be a way I need a backup person. So I'd like to have a group of people in each subject because particularly with being online, I think you need to really mix it up. You can't just have one voice all day. It'll kill people. So you need short, punchy groups of people who work well together. So it's like a major curation exercise and it's ongoing. So yes, always, always, always just get in touch. (laughs) Great. And we'll share links in the show notes of how people can get in touch with you. And where can people find out more about the programs that you're talking about? So on the Creative Entrepreneurs website, there's a load of current programs. There's always more in the pipeline. And I'm looking to develop programs collaboratively, really niche sort of topics going forward. And I do things for external partners. I do always talk about them on LinkedIn. So I guess kind of check me out there. For my two cents, I would say everyone says they can talk about like storytelling and leadership, but those are just words. You know, what is your approach? What's your angle? What aspect of those things can you talk about? And what makes how you're talking about it different from what everyone else is saying? Also, like I'm less responsive to that because I do feel like that's being done to death. So I encourage people to carve out a niche for themselves and really be more narrow. Like you can talk about some aspect of those things, but leadership is vast. That's just a huge thing. Like, what are you talking about in leadership and why? Why are you talking about it? What's your experience? So it's really about finding great voices and people who've, you know, got something to say. I think that's really important. I'm currently not that interested in generalists. For what I'm doing, I'm looking for people who can kind of really speak to a a very specific part of something that's much more useful than a big picture. Like, this is what PR is. Like, that's readily available. You can watch a million YouTubes on that stuff. So I'm very interested in the gap. And yeah, if you're going to get in touch with me, it's like, I am shit hot about these three subjects and I love doing it. And I could do that for you or some variation of that. That's useful information. And I think if you're new to it, There's a cavernous gap in what the subjects are out there. Like people have somehow boxed themselves into like five boxes. There's so much space between those boxes of things that people aren't talking about that need to be talked about. That even people who are five years into their business, they missed them and now they're embarrassed to go back to them and they can't find that content. So spend time thinking about what your skills are. If this is something you want to do, if you want to be a speaker on something, really think about what your skills are and then break it down and break it down and break it down until you got it to really like meaningful 40 minutes and then practice, like set up your own events on Eventbrite and practice or do it in your phone because it's not just reciting your stuff. It's breathing. It's a manner. It's a confidence. It's the ability to answer questions and be interrupted. How can you make it meaningfully interactive? So not just doing an interactive thing for the sake of it, but that is actually, you know, supporting the teaching and the learning. And then who's it for? I mean, that's your area, but really knowing who the audience is so that you can cater to their needs in a way that matters to them and be open to collaboration because it's not a threat to what you're doing. You know, it's access to information that can help you make a really amazing offer that you can take other places. And also watch other people. So practice, practice, practice yourself, but also watch other people and cherry pick the things that you really like from what they're doing and make them your own and add them in and mix the whole thing up and just keep it fresh, really. If you ever go see Darren Brown do a magic show, 
he does all these amazing ways of involving the audience. And in my former life, when I ran a school for creative startups in London, I brought a lot of that back with me because we had big rooms of 100 people. And it was like, how do I get all these people to like not tune out, not look at their phones while you're talking at them? So he did a lot of things with like people writing their questions on a piece of paper and crumpling them up and chucking them at the stage and things like that. Very much in keeping with the kinds of things that Darren Brown does. And it really makes a difference whether you do some virtual version of those things. Presenting is everywhere around you and being creative just adds to what you're doing if it's meaningful and relevant. There's somewhere in between like just being a performer and just being an expert. There's a happy place in the middle and it does take time. But if it's something you want to do and there's a lot of opportunity to do it because there's a lot of shit out there. Take the time to hone that skill. It is a muscle and it needs to be exercised. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That's been really insightful. Loads of helpful tips. And I know that the focus of today's episode has really been about helping people who might want to consider facilitating workshops and programs. But what about if anybody's interested in some of the courses you've mentioned? Yeah, I mean, it's free to join the Creative Entrepreneurs Club anywhere you are around the world and come see what we do. But equally, if it's not us, I mean, I think today's information should give you some tools for judging the stuff you might be paying for to participate in. Like, what are you looking for from the courses you're going on? What, how do you want to learn? And does your course offer that? You know, as an end user, you can be critical of these things. And you should be because your time is limited. We have very little time and funds to invest in our own development as freelancers and small businesses. So where are you going to put that money in that time? Although I am giving advice to people who want to talk equally as someone who wants to go to talks, and I do, and I want them to be interesting. How can I find that? You know, when I'm booking, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking, would I want to pay for this? Is this good enough? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today, Medea. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a very niche subject I don't get to talk about very often, but it's a passion. Oh, it's thoroughly enjoyable and best of luck with your programs. Thank you very much. Take good care. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of the Audience Growth Podcast. And don't forget to leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It's very much appreciated. Next week, I'm back with another solo episode and I'm going to be talking about how to create content more strategically that will grow your business. So don't miss it. I'll see you then.